Welcome back to the Low Bottom High Rise podcast. You guys, you are in for a treat today. My friend Jason Waller is on the show. You might know him from the hills, Laguna Beach. Um, He's also been on Celebrity Rehab. He's got a story to tell, and it was such an incredible hour that we got to spend together just digging into recovery and addiction and what that looks like and what that feels like and his story of recovery and kind of what he's doing in the world today, which is so much. Um, I'm really excited for you guys to listen. So let's dig in. Well, you want to just dig in? Let's go. Let's go. All right. So as I was saying, right when we got on this call, like, I just feel like I'm at home already, right? Like the instant we connected because we're both addicts and alcoholics, it was like, oh, you're you're like my brother. <laughs> this is really cool. Right. And I we have so many things that we could talk about. I mean, we we said that before on our previous call, like there's a thousand directions we could go in, but before we just let God take control, right? I want you to share like who the heck are you? What's your story? How'd you end up here? Will you, will you give us maybe the nine hole version? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. Um, it's no, an honor. We, we connected. It was, it was special. And there's just a lot of synergy and like-mindedness and, you know, just a lot of the same morals and values. So it's yeah. awesome to be here, but I am Jason. Um, a lot of people know me from my, uh, history with MTV and and the shows that I did on there which was Laguna Beach and the Hills and uh, later you could find me on Celebrity Rehab so you can kind of see where my uh, career went um, <laughs> at, a, at a young age but you know um, I'm somebody that went through a very public battle with addiction yeah uh, you know and, and struggled uh, even where, way before I got on, on TV and it's, it's amazing because of the work I've been able to do on myself I can actually identify and, and look back that I struggled with alcoholism and or the symptoms of it way before I ever picked up a drink or a drug. And I know we'll get into the, uh, you know, into solution and, and, and recovery. But after I went through, you know, after I went through the trials and tribulations, like I said, went to, you know, 12 different treatment centers from Florida to Hawaii, every state in between. And 12, uh, 12 different treatment Wow. Centers. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, it was, it was crazy. I mean, I was 18, it was ages from 18 to 23. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at that time, you know, looking back it, at, as, as an 18 year old kid, you know, being at the most uh, impulsive and um, impressionable age, I guess, I mean, mm-hmm. to have thrown at you, it really threw me for a whirlwind. Um, you know, I was, uh, I always used to say I had an overinflated ego with an underestimated sense of self-worth. And <laughs> when you, when you add that, uh, into it, it just, it spiraled down quickly, but yeah, you know, and so my history was in the entertainment business, but by the grace of God, um, you know, I was able to come out of that, uh, was able to get into recovery, was able to get into sobriety. And, you know, I really attribute that to just being really open, honest, and, and willing to surrender and take direction because the best of my decision-making kept getting me back to those those bad places. And so when I look, when I look back at that though, and, um, you know, after, so I had five years of sobriety, um, and then I actually had a, had a really gnarly relapse and that was due to prescription drugs, um, Adderall. That's a whole story within itself. I actually had no intent of abusing or, or, or relapsing. Um, it just lost sight of my program. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I lost sight of what I was doing. I, I stopped doing everything I was doing to get myself to that spot. Yeah. And so I always say, you know, for me personally, is relapse is not a part of recovery. It's actually a lack thereof. Oh, and- I love that. Cause I, I can remember hearing that in early sobriety. Relapse is part of recovery. And in really early sobriety, I was like, cool, I can relapse and still be on this path. But like that was my sick alcoholic brain giving me an out. You know, yeah. I don't like when people say that. I'm like, it doesn't have to be like, that's, that's not a healthy thing to say to people. I don't think. Well, no. And unfortunately this day and age, there's a lot of people that relapse and, and don't come back. Right. And so, and for me, it's, again, it's, it's, everybody's got their opinion on it, but for me, it's like, I can actually look back and identify the areas that I was struggling in. And I can see clearly where I fell off course. I stopped, you know, stopped going to meetings. I stopped connecting with my sponsor on a regular basis to stop working with newcomers. 
Uh, I stopped going to church. You know, it was just, I, I totally could look back and see all the things that started to slowly mitigate out of my life. Yeah. And so, you know, that even took me to a place where, um, you know, <laughs> when I relapsed, um, uh, you know, after multiple attempts of trying to get on and off, it was, it was when I relapsed, it was like, I was on for, you know, I'd get back on the wagon for a few months, get fall back off, get back on. And, mm. and I just wasn't really willing to get open and honest. I wasn't really, you know, to, there was so much shame and stigma associated with me, with me relapsing, but ultimately all I was doing was killing myself. And yeah. I mean, I found myself three years later uh, on the first floor uh, at Hogue Hospital detoxing where my wife was giving birth to my uh, daughter on the fourth floor. And so oh. I literally went from detox up to wow. the fourth floor and, um, you know, it was, but that's how cunning, baffling, and powerful this disease is. And since yeah. I didn't get, you know, I didn't actively arrest the disease. I didn't get stabilized. Uh, I went back out, you know, probably four or five days after and kept going. And, and then finally, uh, I was intervened on, um, actually got some, some support and, and, you know, she would definitely struggle with codependency and, yeah. um, enabling and, but she finally, uh, you know, started taking care of herself and putting herself first and ultimately mm. landed me back into treatment and, by the grace of God, uh, you know, I, I, that was, that was the kind of the end of the show. And yeah, thank and God. December 17th, 2019 is my new sobriety date. So yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a roller coaster. And I mean, look, I'm, I'm always happy to, to look and talk about my history, my story. And, and I, and just for listeners, I mean, I think it's, it's out there. Um, you know, I've talked about it a lot, but for me, like the thing I like to focus on is more on the solution and, and what recovery does. And, how it can really transform your life. And I think, you know, the most beautiful thing about recovery for me uh, was the opportunity to actually get to, to know myself, um, mm. to get and see and, and surround myself with like-minded people to actually embrace and understand what, you know, what life's all about and to be able yeah. to enjoy it. Um, you know, and it's so funny because people will always come up to me like, I can't believe you can't drink anymore. And yeah. I'm so grateful I'm in the place that I'm like, thank God I don't have to drink anymore. Right. You and know? I think that for people listening that are struggling with addiction, it's like, I mean, I know I was, at, you know, between the rock and the hard place, like I'm either going to kill myself unwillingly, like just by, you know, whatever, all the crazy shit that I'm doing, or I'm going to kill myself because I can't live this way anymore. And so when I finally surrendered at 21, I thought I was surrendering to like a miserable existence for the next 60 years, you know, and, and I had no clue that my life hadn't even begun, like hadn't even begun. And, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the freaking world. And not that I wouldn't want to drink, you know, it's not that I don't want to drink because I'm an alcoholic. I I don't want to drink and get buzzed five nights a week, like most of society, like that's not living to me, you know, it's not. And that's like, the thing is, it's so nice to be able to go out and to be able to enjoy myself. And also, you know, know my limitations, like your body has sensors for a reason, right? So if, yeah. you're, happy, if you're mad, if you're glad, if you're, you know, you're, you're depressed, you're angry, you're overwhelmed, like your body giving you signs and stuff. And I was never able to tap into that, you know, right. under the influence or you have some mood altering substance, you're, you're disconnecting from yourself. And, and for me, it's like, I, I want to have those sensors because then I know what to incorporate more into my life or what's yeah. away. And that's the thing. I think it's just, it's sad because I'm all for people that can enjoy themselves. I'm all for sure. Life's a normie. She can go out and have some drinks with friends and stuff, but it's, it does not consume her life. And more importantly, when she has a drink, it doesn't, doesn't change who she is right right. it doesn't become that's the difference yeah and and so I think with that being said it's I just I because I think so many people out there actually really probably do struggle struggle with alcoholism but it's been so socially accepted and there is you know so much there's just so much that is associated with it right yeah people like look at having fun they going out and doing those types of things but it's uh I don't know. I just believe, like you said, it's robbing them from one is, is ultimate potential connection. Um, Really it's what is, what are you really covering up? Yeah. And like you said, it's your potential. You're never going to live into that or live up to that. 
if you're numbing yourself out like that often, you know, and, and I got, I was lucky enough to get sober in Southern California. And, you know, there was a part of me, cause I thought this is like the ultimate scarlet letter. Like I'm just, you know, screwed for the rest of my life. Right. But then I go to meetings and I'm like, wait a second, there's so-and-so and there's so-and-so like, those are some really cool big names, you know, in yeah. Hollywood. And I needed that at 21 to be like, oh, you can still be cool and be sober and like, you know, be a contributing member of society on a higher level, but living in South Carolina and I've been here for 20 years, like you don't see that. You still don't see that, you know? I mean, you do. I I was at a meeting today and there's amazing humans, but like out there in society, what the large majority of people are still just partying. Like they're doing what we did in high school and college. And I'm like, this is this is insane, you know, that we're still here. No, it, it is. And, you know, and it's, and hopefully, I mean, I think we are turning the corner, you know, I yeah. think obviously, unfortunately, the reason why we're turning the corners because it's, you know, addiction is the leading cause of death in America for 50 year old individuals and younger. And you have 112,000 people dying from overdoses, just specifically fentanyl. And you just look at all the statistics out there and, and it's, it's really sad. I mean, but it's, it's, I'm just grateful that, I mean, just in the last, you know, what, 12 years on my journey, when I first got into this and even prior to that, just the, the lack of awareness or understanding or knowledge around the disease of addiction outside of the, the actual treatment providers and people that were in recovery was very limited. And so I yeah. think people are starting to finally get at least an understanding that there's an issue and trust me, we have a long ways to go. Yeah. Um, but I mean, because it's, it's sad to look at it. If you look at this, the charts and the statistics around addiction and, and deaths and, and usage, it's only been on a steady incline with the amount of people dying, using overdoses with a steady decline with the amount of people succeeding, you yeah. know, it's just, it's like an, a, an opposite trajectory of yeah. two things. And it's just, it's like, what's it got to take, you know? And, and now then we have COVID, you tie that in. And yeah. you know, the longest living study at Harvard is around happiness. And that's through human connection. And, yeah. you know, you take, and unfortunately, it's just the tip of the spear right now of, of what we're, what we're seeing because the, the slingshot effect of what the, yeah. that isolation did. And I mean, we see that now, look at all the mass shoot. I mean, just look at like all it's these crazy. things that are coming up. Um, and again, as I'm not a psychologist, obviously I'm not a doctor, but I mean, you just, it's, you look at a lot of this stuff and you see it's, it's a lot of these people are obviously there's, there's brain disorders. There's a lot right. of things that are, that are very, very, uh, alarming and it's, it's, it's scary to look at. And I think one thing that's, that was fascinating. I want to touch on this is because even in like an advanced medicine, you know, when somebody has something wrong with their heart, their kidneys, their liver, they always, whether it's CAT scan and MRI, you know, MRI, whatever it is, they always look at the organ that has been directly affected, right? Yeah. And with addiction and, and what it, it's obviously centered in our brain, right? Between our, between our two ears and right behind our eyes. <laughs> and for the last 50, 60 years through psychology, they've always just, you know, clustered a bunch of symptoms and, you know, thrown medication at it. Why are yeah. we not with the knowledge and the technology that we have out there? And I know they're doing brain mapping and they are getting on to that. Yeah. Um, and there's, and I mean, there's, people that I've connected with that are, are doing phenomenal work that are really focusing strictly on the organ itself. And I actually had a brain scan uh, just to see what damage and stuff that I had done and if there was stuff that was done there. But I think there's just so much more that we can do. Absolutely. And again, it's just by having conversation like we're having now and, and, and normalizing it because yeah. it's not me and you didn't wake up and we're like, oh, I can't wait for me. I can't wait to wake up and get arrested again or right. a relationship or, you know, hurt somebody or crash a car. Like, it's, you know, and, and it's, it's sad that there's so many people that still think that, you know, addiction is a choice because there's no such thing as recreational use of heroin. There's no such right. thing as recreational use of meth or drinking two bottles of vodka. That's, there's not recreation. That's a shitty, miserable form of existence. Yeah. You're trying to cope and get through the day. And until you actually have or have struggled with addiction, you'll never understand that feeling of what it's like to be and captive. Of I mean, it's, there's no greater hell on earth. I mean, it's hell on earth, you know, and you know, it's, it's so fascinating to me. I want to go back to what you said about the brain. Cause when you start talking about the organ, even me as a, you know, recovered alcoholic, I'm like, 
I was immediately thinking liver, you know, I'm like, I'm even screwed up when it comes to like what it's affecting, but I have studied brain health and neuroplasticity and all that stuff for years. And I see the direct, you know, connection between like how my brain was truly wired when I was in active addiction and how I've kind of rewired that in recovery. But I want to go back, and this is kind of a tough question. It's a tough question for me to answer, so I'm curious how you would answer it because I know that there's so many people listening, and they probably just heard what you said, and they're like, oh, well, I'm not doing math or heroin, so I'm good. Yeah. But I'm sure you get this question a lot, you know, all those people out there. Like, how how do you help somebody kind of figure out, like, is it a problem? Well, look, I think, you know, when I look at it, it's not even about calling somebody an alcoholic. Hey, are you an alcoholic or Hey, you an addict? It's more like, Hey, whatever it is you're struggling with, whether it's sex, drugs, alcohol, gambling, working out work, is it adding or subtracting from this beautiful life you have to live? Right. And it's more of framing. Is it really, it really, is it adding or taking away? Yeah. But it's so damn hard to see that when you're in addiction, because we are master manipulators of our own psyche. It's crazy. You, you, we are, but, and I also think like when you, but you also have those, I mean, at least for myself, you know, I had, there was like from 18, 19, I, I was in denial. Like I'm just a kid. I'm going through this, but like, it was very apparent to me, like even shortly after that, that yeah. I was like, dude, I, I mean, it's not normal to be getting arrested. Like I wasn't even, even if you're not, it's just like the, it's being educated on it, right? Like waking up, it's not normal to be drinking at 10 o'clock in the morning. Like right. having these hangovers, blackouts, it's a number one, it's like a huge indicator that you struggle with alcoholism. Like, yeah, I thought everybody know. that drank had blackouts. I had it, no clue, no clue. Same. I just, so, yeah. But it's, it's, and it's, it's creating that conversation around it. And it's, again, it's, it's, it, we can't convince anybody, right? I mean, yeah. it's on them to, to figure that out. But what we can do is, is take the knowledge and the education and the science and the research that has been done and provide them with that information to, to make yeah. that assessment or that judgment. Even like, look, there's, there's through the program, there's a great quiz that you can take. I mean, it, yeah. it's a pretty standard, you know, questionnaire. And if you answer yes to any of those, I mean, you got to, you you'd probably struggle with it. Yeah. And yeah. I remember taking that in high school and I was like, Ugh. Everyone in this room checked every box. Well, everyone in the room didn't check the freaking box. Right. But I thought it was like this sneaky little thing. I can remember my first sponsor, and this was a wake-up call for me. I remember her saying to me, Moira, how how often do you think about having a glass of milk? And for some reason, she used a glass of milk. But it could be like, I love peanut M&Ms, right? Like, how often do I think about eating peanut M&Ms? Like, you know, maybe once a week and I get some. But I don't sit down and eat... 30 boxes of peanut M&Ms every day, you know, like that's the difference. And when you start to look at it that way, you're like, holy shit, like maybe I am a little different. Maybe I am a little addicted to this. Maybe it is a problem if your world is revolving around it. I mean, every single thing I did revolved around whether there was going to be a drink there or not, you know? That's the other thing though, too, is is obviously addiction as a whole is, you know, the neuroscience and neuroplasticity. I mean, it's, it's a a neurological issue. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, it's like alcohol as a whole, regardless. I mean, it's not, it's, it's poison. It affects every single organ in your body. Technically you consume it. And again, like, I want to make it very clear. I'm not against, because I have family friends that are, it's like, I'm not against people that can, that can enjoy themselves, but there are, there are a lot of people out there that, literally their life revolves around that and it is so consumed with it and they're high functioning with it. And it's, you know, it's also when you get to the, like when you're talking to those types of individuals that it's like they're highly functioning and, and, but it's just, it's being able to have the dialogue with them and really understand like there was a very um, uh, inspirational and somebody I looked up to. And it was funny because when this was actually when I was in early recovery back like in 2010 to like when I was getting my first round before I relapsed and stuff. And I remember kind of having the the nerve to be able to ask this. He's like, you know, he's like, it's, I'm proud of you being sober and stuff like that, but you know, I'm going to go home and we, we had a long day and um, you know, I'm gonna have some, some wine and just take the edge off. And I was literally like, why do you have to have a glass of wine to take the edge off? Yeah. You know what I mean? He's kind of like, he kind of got frustrated because I'm like, I, I get overwhelmed. I get frustrated and you know, I don't have to have a glass of wine, but that created that curiosity and created that. Yeah. Then. 
Um, and it honestly, it, it transitioned and down the road, he doesn't, he doesn't drink anymore, um, yeah. but he didn't even really struggle with it. It was just more of, and it's, again, it's just, it was just fascinating to, to, to have that. We just associate it with so many yeah. different things. Um, and it's just the easiest thing. I, I can remember my mom saying to my telling me about a conversation she had with her dad, my grandfather. And she was, I think it was around smoking back then. I mean, this was decades ago. And she was like, well, dad, everybody has to have a vice. And his response was, why, why does everybody have to have a vice? Like, why is that the norm? You know, right. it's like, if we can put healthy things in place, I, I mean, I can remember so vividly long into my recovery. There was one night where I like, lost it, like lost it on my kids. And it was one of the closest times I came to like, just like, you know, that like cat with no skin, like I'm going to, I'm like rage, total rage. And like, give me freaking anything to take the edge off. And I was like, this is like, this is when I go to the drink or the drug or whatever. And like, I came home and I worked out like yeah. harder than I've ever worked out in my life. Yeah. But I was like, holy crap, who am I? And I was 10, 15 years into sobriety still. But I'm like, you know, I still have that first thought. My first thought, drink or a drug. 23 years into sobriety. It's like, what can I consume to just change my state instantaneously? Yeah. And in recovery, it's like, okay, I'm aware of my first thought. I'm going to have a second thought and we're going to act on that second thought, you know? But we it's- still have it. No, we, and it's, and that's the thing too, is I'm really happy you bring that up because I think also people get misconstrued that like, just because we're sober, everything just kind of like skates across easy. It's like, yes, we have those thoughts. And when they come through, you know, they become more, less and less, they become more and more fleeting, right? They're not there and they're not percolating as long, especially in the beginning stages, because the other day I even had one, you know what I mean? It was, it wasn't even, it was like, ah, beer sounds good. You know, it's just like, yeah, it tastes like it's, and Sometimes that's all it is and it goes away immediately. Yeah. And sometimes I, and that's where, you know, again, with the tools and, and the knowledge and just being so immersed in this, it's like, I have the tools and I'm equipped if that's something that starts to become an obsession, yeah. you know, and I can actually do something about it. And um, that's where connection to other recovering alcoholics comes in. You know, it's like, you got to check your thoughts and just like, you know, what do they say? Like pain shared is half, you know, I actually went to an AA meeting this morning and it was crazy because the second I sat in my seat, I was like, holy shit, I had a drinking dream last night. I wouldn't have remembered that I had a drinking dream at this stage. And if so, if we don't think this isn't hardwired into our psyche somehow, you know, (laughs) I'm still having drinking dreams. I'm like, that's incredible. I haven't yeah. had a drinking dream in a, in a long time. Um, I seem to, I'm one of the people that always ends up waking up before I use, but yeah, what a trip. How was that experience? It was crazy. I mean, it was mind blowing. Right. And it's, and it's always kind of this repetitive dream where I'm like, I'm in it, you know, I'm so wasted and I'm, I'm driving and I can't see the line on the road. And it's like, how did I end up here? You know, how did yeah. I get here? It's, but I see that as a gift from God, you know, where God's just like, don't forget, don't forget. And go go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say a lot of people definitely probably wonder why the heck I still go to meetings. You're still going to meetings and God, I'm such a better person for meetings. You know, I, I always relate it to church. I'm like, well, a lot of people I know go to church. Like you sit there for an hour. It makes you feel better. It makes you ponder your life. You kind of get reconnected. You get grounded And for me, that's absolutely what meetings are for me. You know, you're talking about things like self-will versus God's will or all these, these really amazing tools that we use. It's also a reminder. I also know that, you know, there's a slogan, there's a lot of them, but meeting makers make it like, why would I, I am an addict and an alcoholic. I know if I relapse, like game over, like, or game on one way or the other, you know, like I'm going to be using, I mean, and this will probably totally floor my listeners, but like, it'll be alcohol and cocaine, like bam, like, you know, right, right off the bat. And I wasn't a huge cocaine user. I'm just saying, I know me, if I'm going to relapse, you go all in, you go all in, right. There's no in between. And so why would I ever risk my life and my family's life why wouldn't I just go to a freaking meeting if that's part of like my insurance plan? Why and, would and I we're not on the do same, that? We're on, we're on the same page here, but I just want to ask you a question uh, just yeah. because there's, you know, there's a lot of people that 
you know, th there's other modalities and other forms of people uh, sustaining sobriety through other ways, right? And what is your take on that? Or what are your thoughts, you know, people that aren't plugged into, a, you know, specifically, let's just say AA? Yeah. So, I mean, again, I'm not going to judge anyone's path of recovery. You know, I'm going to applaud you if you're in recovery from addiction. That's amazing. But it's like, you know, to each their own. I got sober in AA and it's worked for 23 years. I'm never going to risk Right. Not, you know, saying I'm going to test the waters and see <laughs> and, you know, throw this out aside and try this other way. I do all these other things there. I have a spiritual life and a spiritual path and all of these other things, but I just, I'm not willing to roll the dice on it. You know, I mean, the best hour of my day besides this talking to you, another alcoholic was a meeting today, which right. it's just, I mean, when and a lot of times I compare it to like cancer survivors. Like if you're a cancer survivor and you walk into a room for an hour with other people who have faced down death like you did and lived the same living hell and you connect on the freaking deepest level, that is so soul giving and soul filling. Like what, why would I be like, nah, I don't really want to do that. Well, I guess, <laughs> and, and for us a hundred percent, I mean, we're both products of, of a save our life. And it's, it's been instrumental, but I, I guess I'm just talking to more people, not for us to deviate off of that. I'm saying for other individuals that are coming into this and they're, they're more opposed to even, even a 12 step program. Yeah. You know, I just, be, I can only speak from my own experience and there's concern and worry there because I mean, I've been in this world of recovery for decades now and uh, the large majority, almost everybody I know that is sober, solidly sober, has done that through a 12-step program. You know, that's the reality. And yeah. there are way more that try it all these different ways and they don't make it. And I'm sure you have attended Very more right. funerals than you want to attend. I have attended way more funerals. I mean, sitting there looking at an open casket and looking at a body of a friend that died this, the, the, from the disease that you have, I mean, it doesn't get any harder. You know, I lost my sister to alcoholism and oh she was God. five years sober and relapsed. Same thing. And, you know, never would have saw it coming. And, you know, she had too much alcohol in her system and went into a sauna for 10 minutes and never woke up. And so she wasn't, you know, on death's door supposedly, but like anything can happen at any time, you know? I'm so sorry to hear that. No, and, but I, I think it's, and I just, I bring that up because it's, it's a common question from people, right? And, but I think going back to what you're saying is it, why do we still go to meetings or why do we do what we do? You answered it perfectly is why would I change what's working? Number one, but yeah. I also believe that, you know, for me, part of my routine and, and my program is, is consistency creates structure and structure creates safety. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's so important to have that in order. And that's just part of that process for me. And then when you go, there's a lot of things that I incorporate outside of going to meetings as well. But I, I think it's just that routine is, is so imperative. Um, and, and for myself, I mean, in the morning, you know, when I wake up, I do my morning, I do a little meditation. I, def, I, I pray, I do a gratitude list. Not only three things I'm grateful for, but, but what, it's not only what I'm grateful for, but why I'm grateful for mm -hmm. them. Uh, and that's where a lot of the meat really resides. So I advise people that do gratitude lists not to just write what, but why. Yeah. Because um, it really explains it. And then, you know, and, and then I send that list off to another group of, a group of guys and I get that in return. And, um, but the exercise is another huge, yeah. huge thing for me. Um, and again, it's, it's like what we put into this is what we're going to get out of it, right? Is somebody that for you is, a, is somebody that's in health and fitness. And, you know, you go to the gym once a week, you're going to get the results of going once a week Right. You're daily. You're going to get the results of what, you know, what it does when you do daily. So that's how I look at it. And I think that's kind of why for me is I can't deviate off of that. And I've tried that and it doesn't work. And unfortunately the best of my decision-making always gets me back to that same spot. Yeah. Um, and that's where true surrender comes in and true willingness. And, and again, is it's, I'm doing what works and, and yeah it's not, it's not broken, you know, why fix it? So. Right. Right. Absolutely. Can we talk a little bit? I don't know much about your story and relationship. I too, I know your wife's been a huge part, right. Of your recovery. And, and you touched on it earlier. She had to kind of get help first. And I, I think that's, God, it's like people just, they don't get that, you know, just because again, we aren't kind of educating America or the world enough. 
And I know anytime, and it happens a lot in my circles where I talk to family members that are struggling with, you know, an alcoholic child or kid or an addict, and they really have to seek help themselves first in order to help the, their loved one. And yeah. they just think, what do I need to do to help my loved one? It's like, you need to help yourself. That's the only thing that's going to help them. If you're looking for some more in-depth training on mindset practices and how to create your vision, how to reverse engineer your goals, how to craft your morning process, all of the things that I'm super passionate about, you guys, the Rise Up course is where it's at. It is literally my lifetime, my mind in a course, every single tip, strategy, and hack that you could possibly ask me about is in this course. So jump into the show notes right below and you'll see the link for the Rise Up course and my Rise Up planner, and you guys can rise up with us. Yeah, I mean, look, I think people need to understand is where there's an alcoholic or an addict, there's a codependent, and sometimes mm-hmm. they're just as sick, if not sicker. And, and what I mean by that is even in my early days of using with my parents, right, is, I mean, they were so enabling, and, and I was obviously very manipulative and, and conniving and um, but they were throwing pillows where I should have really have fallen. And, yeah. you know, they were, they were trying to soften the blows with stuff, but ultimately they were trying to help me, but they were hurting me. They were literally mm-hmm. loving me to death. Um, yeah. and it took them to actually, they actually had to go to a, a two week program out of Betty Ford years and years ago to really understand what they were doing. Um, and the same thing with my wife, like we met, um, uh, we met prior to me getting sober and then we reconnected after I'd gotten sober. I had about like, I think it was like 10 or 10 months. And then I actually, we started like officially dating right, right before my one year, she came to my one year party. And, uh, and so she, she saw me one time, like completely out of it and out of control. But then later down the road, she only knew me as this guy that was sober. Yeah. And, and so we just had this life that was, was amazing. And, and she just thought this is kind of who I was now. And this is how it was going to be. And, um, lo and behold, years down the road, um, mm-hmm. you know, with her, and again, as we didn't, you know, we didn't know at the time that she had untreated, untreated codependency and she had some of her own issues that she needed to, to work on. Um, but when I relapsed, um, you know, I had her right where I wanted her and, yeah. I was, and we kept it hidden from everybody. I'm talking about Dr. Drew, all, all my mentors that I worked with. Like, I mean, wow. that was the scariest part is when I used to drink and use, Originally, it was like I was back in the day. I used to always say I was allergic. I'd break out in handcuffs, right? Like that was, yeah. <laughs> that was the thing for me, and and that's really what it was. Like when I drank, it was like nine out of ten times something bad was going to happen. One out of ten, it would be something. It would be a fun night, but it right. obviously wasn't worth it. And this time, this time around, uh, and it started with that that prescriptions. Um, you know, it was super easy, or super. It wasn't super easy. It was just really scary how well I was able to hide it. Yeah. And, you know, and then after, you know, nine, 10 months of Adderall abuse and taking 300 milligrams a day, sleep deprived and also in a psycho drug induced psychosis, you know, I started drinking to just to fall asleep. Mm. It was just this vicious cycle though, but I'd gotten, I'd perfected it. It's like literally at, I almost say it was harder to be an addict or an alcoholic at that time than it is to be sober. I mean, just because what I would do and the hoops I would jump through to just maintain and sustain and literally cut up little pieces of Adderall and have little shooters and just kind of like be able to get through each day. Yeah. And I was just able to, like I said, I mean, I told Ashley, I was like, you can't tell people, like I just was manipulative, manipulative, yeah. manipulative you know, and, and also it was, and uh, that's what you're talking about. I just want to highlight that. Like when you said that before about Ashley, like she doesn't change when she has a drink, we change. Like yeah. that's like where we go. We instantly become, you know, the most manipulative, it's like, it's, it's as if something takes over your entire being and it's, it's like a survival it, gene. I always say yeah. it's like a survival gene. I, I love the analogy you gave with the M&Ms and, and <laughs> how we look at it. But it's like, for me, as I always tell people, I think when you're, I always relate to when I was really young and you're on the soccer field and you can't, you know, you're busting your butt and you can't wait to get those oranges and like some water, like just you're dying of thirst and that's all yeah. you want. Like when you're in active addiction, that's the feeling like even because I was even at a place where I was sitting there drinking vodka, crying, like literally, I don't want to do yeah. this anymore, but like I could not, that's how, deep stop. that's how deep it was. And some people yeah. can't relate to that. But for me, it was like, cause you just think, well, why don't you just stop drinking? It's like, 
that connection to it, like there was no other thought, like it's just it's tunnel vision. That's yeah. all I want. That's all I'm going to do. And, and until that cycle is broken, until there's a disruption in that, I can't stop. And, yeah. And nothing uh, else matters. I think that's the other thing people, especially loved ones don't get, you know, like, well, what about, you know, what about her son? What about their spouse? Like, and I'm like, that doesn't matter. Like when you have that tunnel vision, you don't see the children. You don't see the spouse. Like, because they, do, because they do matter. Like, that's the problem. That's the other thing too, though, is they do matter. Yeah. Unfortunately, you are not in a place mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually to even process that. You just right. can't with that. And I think that's, again, goes back to the, the neuroscience of this is when we yeah. drink, our frontal cortex closes off yeah. like completely. And that's like your frontal cortex is your executive operating skills. That's what helps you just with your daily decisions. I'm going to have a glass of water. I'm going to, you know, I need to go take out the trash. Just those, all those just basic mechanics throughout the day they get completely shut off. You, you lose the, your, the ability to make decisions almost literally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally. So it's like, it's like, I, I relate that to when my daughter was born, obviously I loved her and, and Ashley, honestly, and that's because we want to talk about codependency. She thought if we had a kid that would save, save everything. Of course. I mean um, that I would think it would, right. I mean, a know. rational brain that makes sense. Yeah. But we are, we don't have rational brains in active addiction. <laughs> Correct. And so and but looking at that, it's like I looked at my daughter and I was it, it was, you know, I was sober the moment she was born and and went back out to the race. And it's like obviously I love and care about her more than anything, but I was not actively, I didn't actively arrest the disease. I wasn't stable. And yeah. you know, I was still in that like fight or flight mode. And it was uh it, it just takes over. And that's why I personally ended up having to go back to a program and I had to go away for 30 days again, just to just with even with all the knowledge and the understanding and like I said, just working in the space, having phenomenal mentors, understanding the program, like um, it just took complete hold of me. It just yeah. it really did. But unfortunately, Ashley, um, you know, on her end and no fault to herself by any means, but it's like that happening allotted her not only to do work on herself, but to mm. really get an understanding that what I was doing had nothing to do with her. Right. And unfortunately, it's like, this is like one of the biggest things that I'm actually even looking at doing something in is for the people that are directly affected by the disease of addiction, you know, yeah. not the alcoholics or the addicts, because there are so many nights my wife would, you know, like I'd wake up and her head was on my chest and she was, and I'm like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? She's like, I was just making sure your heart's still beating like this, like this is moments of. It's harder for them because we're in a blackout, you know, I mean, in a lot yeah. of ways it's harder for them. But just all the trauma they experience and and just the things that they see. And, you know, we got to go away, right? I go away. I come back 30, yeah. 60, 90 days. I'm in a good mood. What's, she's at home taking care of the kids. She's working, making sure everything at the house is in order. Just, to, you know, I'm over here taking care of self. And then, you know, they just tell her to go to a meeting. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's phenomenal. And, but there's so much more. And, there's, and so we, much we ended more. up going to therapy for two almost two years every week. You know, yeah. family therapy, just couples therapy. Because there was just so much destruction that was done to yeah. that. And again, as I'm very grateful that we have the resources and the means to do that, but a lot of people don't. And right. um, there, it's an underserved population. It's, yeah. It is. Uh, there's phenomenal programs that are out there that, I mean, like there's one actually out here in Tennessee called Onsite and where you can do some really deep dive therapy and, and get into that. But there needs to be more of them. There's more. There, Absolutely. There's not, not enough. And yeah. So, you know, I mean, there's, I think it's a great topic to talk about. And I think it's really important that, you know, people from the family, because it's, it's, they, they, there's a lot of, you know, um, remnants or residue or, you know, that they experience from, from everything that we put them through. Yeah. And so for those people dealing with somebody in active addiction right now, I mean, I think you and I are probably on the same page, but like the best thing they can do is stop enabling. Right. I mean, I had somebody say it the other day, they were like, you know, he's just signing checks for her suicide. And I was like, Oh, that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow for a father. Like he was talking about the fa a father and a daughter. And I'm like, but it's true. You know, it's so true. And my sister who was five years older than me too, it, she was the oldest. Right. So my parents did everything to save her to, you know, pay her rent and do this and just, you know, gave her all the pillows, like you said, and they had learned a lot in Al-Anon by the time I came around. And so it was like really quick. They're like, we're done. We're done. We want nothing to do with you until you have 30 days of sobriety. And this is what my mom said. She said, Moira, I don't know if that's going to be 30 days from now or 30 years from now or ever, but we're done. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm not saying that was like the reason I got sober, but it was a huge part of, you know, my safety net being gone. I had nothing to fall back on, you know, and that is so important for families of addicts to, to not have the safety net there all the time. When I think of what it really comes down to is, is having healthy boundaries. And because, you know, oftentimes you'll see, and this is, I'll just use my own story again, is there's whoever it was, whether it was friends, wife, you know, parents, you know, they threatened me with whatever it was. And, you know, that whatever it was I would end up doing and the, the repercussions were not there. And so basically what that told me is like, you know, Hey, you're, you're good to keep going. And so on the outside, it's, they were technically just co-signing any of the behaviors I was doing. And that just sends that wrong signal. And you're actually just contributing to the, to the illness. Yeah. So I think it's really, when you, when you get to that place and understanding, you know, it's, it's a, you know, you got to lay out the boundaries and whenever you lay them, you got to stick to them. Um, yeah. and you, you have to stand by them because unfortunately the goal, the goal, people often move the goalpost yeah. uh, when the certain situation or the circumstance happens. And it's tough though, you know, because, you know, it, it's funny because I used to be so rigorous around different, either just with sobriety, right. With hard enable, you know, hard stopping and cutting stuff off. I was used to be really against like medically assisted treatment and I'm starting to look at these different things. So I, I kind of have a question for you because that's really where I, that's kind of where my foundation would still stand with that. But, you know, I've run into people, you know, where, you know, they've, they've come to me and they've actually, you know, pushed back on it in regards to like, hey, if my son was dying of cancer, you know, I wouldn't want to just leave them alone or, or push them away. You know, I would embrace them. I'd be there for them. You know, but when they have addiction, you know, I'm, I'm just told to just stop talking. And like your mom did, right? Yeah, and, that, yeah. and, and for me, that's what I needed at that time. And yeah. it sounds like that was what was, you know, part of a contributor to your success potentially. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you have these moms saying, and now being a dad, right? Like, so right. my perception is like, if my, because, you know, addiction sounds like it runs heavy in your family, it runs yeah. heavy in my family, you know, as much as I know and what would be there, like, and I'm not saying that I would enable you know, I'm, right, I'm, right. I think I'm very clear on that, but it's like, I, I guess it's just the, does it making sense what I'm saying? Kind yeah, of, no, when you were talking them. about, when you were talking about like, you know, loved ones kind of having those boundaries and those consequences, because my first thought is like my alcoholic thought, I'm like, yeah, I remember it would be like, cool, I got away with it. You know, as soon as they didn't deliver the consequence, you felt like you won, you know, it was like, awesome, I can keep going. And when you were talking about that, I was thinking about my kids. Like we get it with a five-year-old, like you have to deliver the consequence or they're never going to, you know, change their behavior. But it's so much harder when you're dealing with an adult, an alcoholic, an addict. And, you know, I've thought about this a lot. I know you and I talked about this before. It's like, there's no manual for how to raise our children who probably have genetics predisposed to alcoholism and addiction. And that's scary as all get out. Yeah. And so, yeah, what are we going to do if this happens to our kids? And, and you're right. I mean, I, I, I think, and it's, you can't answer that question until you're in it. You can't understand that, but I think you can love them, like you said, but not enable them. You know, I think yeah. it's just, it's just an interesting concept though, right? Cause I mean, yeah. you asked me this, you know, before the lie back when I was crushing the, the four or five years, right before I relapsed stuff, it was like, no, cut them off. You know, it's, it's, right. it's very black and white, you know, and, and, and that's it. But it's now that I'm hearing this from a different side and the mom painted, it's just like, he was dying of cancer or that, like I'm watching him. He's literally nodded out and he looks like he's dying. He might as well be dying. You know, that's yeah. technically is. And he's going yeah. away a suicide. And so it just made me this, it's just, again, it's conversation. I'm not saying there's a right or a wrong. Yeah, I think but basically when you look at the facts, like, yeah, setting boundaries and being firm, that's been what's the most proven successful. Like I fully understand that, but it just makes you think different when you have. Yeah, it and it absolutely. But I think, you know, doing an intervention, uh, you know, being able to send them to rehab, if you can do that financially, like doing those things that are going to hopefully save their life and not slowly kill them. And I think you can have conversations and express your, you know, love for them. And, and I know I just walked through this with one of my best friends and and a family member of hers. And it was like, I know she was having a lot of conversations. Like, I just, I want you back. Like, you know, talking to the addict, like they, you're, they're not there. It's like their, their soul isn't even present anymore. And you're just so desperate to, 
to have them back. And I think sometimes, you know, we can crack that door open and they can hear something. Um, but I have thought a lot about like kids and like, how do I set my kids up for, you know, their best chance. And you said something when we talked earlier that blew my mind that I'm going to touch on in a second. But one of the things I think is you said it again, like connection, right? Like when they have deep friendships that they're re- they really feel, because in society today, I mean, my kids are 12 and 14, social media, it's all bullshit. Like it's all fake. There's no connection, you know? So all of their so-called friends are super surface level, you know? And so as parents really trying to foster like real relationships for them, I think that, and I think, um, obviously I've thought a lot about this. I think the connection piece, the faith piece, right? That they're not it. There's a higher power that's going to carry them through it, giving them that foundation, And also I can remember, um, doing like some kind of like service mission work, you know, when I got sober and being like, I didn't really have this in high school. Like, I think if, when I was entering into my alcoholism, if, if my parents had been able to kind of pull me out of that world and, and show like, get your heart filled on a super deep level through service, some of that gaping hole would have been filled. And in high school, it's just not being filled. You know, you're filling it with alcohol. You're filling it with superficiality, with hooking up, with all that stuff. And so I think if we can do that too, I think that's really important. I remember reading a book by Laird Hamilton, you know, Laird, right? Big wave writer. Um, And he said that like, he was the punk, you know, kid in Hawaii and his mom took him on a mission trip when he was like 14. And he's like, my whole life was changed, you know? And so I think those things are really key. Yeah, I think there's a lot of tool, a lot of tools, and 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 again, is is we're in the unique spot of of, of having that, but it's again, it's just making it ultra clear is just around the people that are that are in it now, right? That their kids have gone to multiple treatment centers, they you know they've done the the run with them, and I'm just sharing this specifically on that because I think we're in a again, is there's a lot of prevention, a lot of stuff we can do in the early stages with this, and and talking about social media, it's so funny because social media is literally antisocial. Uh, yeah. when you really look at it and it's a false perception it's a false reality and and obviously um you look at it and you look at the the addictive tendencies you look at the phone addictions you look at the gaming addictions i mean there's there's a whole thing there where it really can just drive you away and um that's why on our end with with our kids like the only the only type of media that they get is is television and yeah outside of that like and I'm, and I'm happy that we went through the gamut with it because it, it, you know, it'd be so much easier just to give them an iPad or do stuff like that. But it's so nice. Like we went to dinner with the kids again tonight. And it's just so amazing that Delilah at five years old basically can sit there and have, you know, have a full three course meal and, and not have to be, you know, we'll bring crayons if she needs to color or some yeah. and stuff, but just that connectivity. And, and, and that's for us. And again, we're in a position to do that. And it's, it's but it's, trying to set them up for success. I mean, that's why we moved. And I'm so grateful for the, for sobriety, for recoveries, because it allotted me the opportunity to make one of the biggest decisions of my entire life. Like all I knew was Laguna Beach and I lived in LA for, you know, a handful of years. And outside of that, I didn't know anything else, but I knew that where we were and what was going on was not the most conducive for for my kids. And so Uh, if I wasn't sober and I wasn't right in the right frame of mind, I would have, you know, let, I would never been able to leave the city, let alone, you know, go clear across the country. Right. Um, but that's, what's beautiful is it's, um, instead of being super selfish, I'm selfless now. And I put my family and my kids first, you know, I put the God, God recovery, um, and my family, and then I'll fall in right, right in there. And obviously it's, um, it's, it's, that's the beauty of it. And so I'm just, it's, it's, it's awesome to, to be in that spot today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I want to go back to a question from the very beginning, which I'm sure you get asked all the time. I'm, I'm sure a million people have asked me too, but 12 recovery centers, right? Yeah. So like everyone wants to know, especially people that have a loved one struggling, like, well, what was, and I don't think you and I actually can answer this besides like grace and surrender, but like what, what, what happened? What, what finally took? Yeah. So look, I mean, you know, the, the 12 treatment stents, um, you know, 
I would say in the, the definitely the beginning stages of all of that, there was a lot of appeasing. There was court orders. There was the girlfriend, yeah. the family. And so it was just kind of going through the motions, right? And again, as by 2021, um, you know, I, I don't know that I, I didn't even think I wanted to stop, but I also believe that I was able to convince myself that I didn't have a problem, right? right. And, and so again, as, as, as that kind of progressed and went on, um, you know, I, I tried making a couple attempts and, and it was really because I think looking back is, is the, the core thing to it is even when I was like, knew I had a problem and I was going to treatment, wanting to stop, I, it, it comes down to honesty. I was not a hundred percent honest. I was not in full surrender. Um, and I was not willing to take direction. I was so egotistical and, and this, uh, this very self-centered and, didn't really want to, you know, it's, that's, that's the thing, but I also think that had to do with maturity. You know, I was, I was young yeah. and, and I had a, a lot that was thrown at me at a, at a young age and, you know, just trying to process all that alone was, would have been enough, let alone dealing with alcoholism. And, uh, because yeah, we were on the number one show on cable for, for a while. And I mean, yeah. it's, it's like, yeah, I was, went, I was going to high school. I was going to go hopefully go play baseball and go to college and and then boom, overnight, you know, my life completely, literally overnight, it changed. Wow. It was, everything was completely different. So keeping all that in mind, but what really changed and shifted and, you know, with me is, is through my recovery journey and stuff like that is, um, you know, suicide was also became a part of it. Um, not just suicidal ideations, but actually attempting suicide. Yeah. And because, you know, on the outside, you know, you know, I had everything that society says is amazing, whether that's, you know, money, notoriety, fame, cars, girls, whatever it was. But, uh, you know, I could never look myself in the mirror and be happy with what I saw. Mm. And it was just a very lonely place to be, even though on the outside, it seemed like everything was great. And so, um, uh, you know, that was, a, that was a, a, by the grace of God, I was actually found when I tried taking my life and uh, was able to be rushed to the hospital and be revived. And, um, you know, some time had passed. And again, as I was, I don't remember this hundred percent clearly, but I mean, it, it was, I know there was after that, like I was, you know, I think I went back into a program or whatever it was. I tried getting, you know, getting sober again. And, and I probably had four or five, six months and, and relapsed again. And, and, um, you know, at that point, this is kind of the moment of clarity and where everything changed was when I was with my mom and dad and, you know, they were a huge part of my my life and they still are to this day they've been instrumental and uh incredible parents that have celebrated 50 years of marriage wow uh, back in june and so uh we were in a therapy session for literally the thousandth time again so suicide attempted happened all the different treatments mm. that happened and and my dad i've never seen he's the patriarch of our family and i've never seen him you know really break down besides when his mom had passed away and and he uh we're in this therapy session and and he just looked across and he's just like, Hey, Jason, like, you know, with a tear coming down his eyes, it's like, we don't know what to do anymore. You know, mm. our marriage is suffering. Uh, you know, the family is, is just completely up. We don't know what else to do. You know, mom and I uh, lay in bed, like two planks of wood, uh, waiting for the phone call at your dad. And mm. like, for whatever that, whatever reason it was, there was like this, this clarity, like there was just yeah. this literally like, okay. You know what I mean? And, and when I say that is, is thank, thank God for the upbringing and that connection. Because for me, I didn't get sober for myself because, yeah. and that I didn't, I didn't have anything left in me. And that became my motivation. I said, look, I don't care about myself enough that I'll go do this for you. Right. And at that point, it was just kind of a, again, timing, God, grace. But that moment was really like that aha moment where I ended up leaving from there and, and going to Florida and, and, um, going into going into treatment and then from there I left and uh was able to acquire you know I think it was like 45 days um and then I came back and I actually ended up going on celebrity rehab which was probably wouldn't advise people to do that but I really went on celebrity rehab uh to change the public's you know negative perception that was yeah of me uh because it was a real reality show and it was an opportunity to kind of go on there yeah. and show my side and they they allowed me to go on sober and it, I was kind of like a background prop on the show because I wasn't you know, drinking, using <laughs> and coming off of stuff. And, um, but that's really where that, that journey changed. And from yeah. there, you know, I had a lot of respect for Drew. I think the connectivity that I was able to get through Dr. Drew and some of the other people that were on that show, like a sense of relatability, 
uh, allotted me the opportunity to really be in a place of surrender and to take direction. And for the first time in my life, I actually got like a real job and had, you know, somebody to be accountable to and um, had responsibility. And I was able to establish, you know, purpose and, and um, really find uh, a path for me. And I was really able to turn my, my mess into my message and uh, was able to make a, an impact. And, and at that point, I kind of disappeared from LA. I disappeared from everything for a long time. And I went and worked in the, re- the recovery community. And it was funny, you know, like a year after that whole process, I mean, I was writing for the Huffington Post. I was, you know, it was on uh, two years later, I was on a couple of different boards and it was just amazing to see how recovery really took a uh, full effect. But yeah, that's yeah. Kind of a long-winded version of that. I love that. I mean, I see it as your parents, like it's the antithesis of enabling, right? Just being so real with you and like, and the the crazy part about that is like when you're talking about that with your parents, that was also, and I'm sure a large part of your suicidal tendencies that for me, that came from the place of like, I can't, I can't keep putting them through this. Like, I can't live this way. I can't keep putting them through this. Like I can't get sober. So there's no other option, you know? I just really saw, I just could not see an out, you know? Yeah. I, just, I mean, and it was also too, like at a young age, just the constant reminders of, you know, and look, I, uh, addiction doesn't dictate who we are, but it doesn't justify our actions, right? Right. And, you know, just the reminders as an 18, 19 year old kid going through the grocery store and seeing your mug shot. Like it was just like, you know, just all the different things that were just the, it's like I couldn't, I just couldn't get out of it, you know? Yeah. Run on the TV and it's like, thanks to fucking TMZ, you know, it was just like, God, it's I can't even imagine. It was just, and it was so, it was just, you know, it just got to the point where it's like, it was, you were ashamed to just go outside. You know, yeah. and again, is, is, you know, it's, uh, but today I take full ownership and, and accountability and, and, um, but I also see that as such a gift for you because, because you had that public, you know, persona, you were able to say, maybe I can use this for good. And I think even when you're not like, even today, you know, I'm so much more driven for what I can do for other people than what I can do for myself. Like you said, you didn't get sober for yourself you got kind of got sober for your parents initially, but there I'm sure was this piece that just was kind of whispering to you and your soul, like you're going to be able to, because of who you are, really be able to shift this. And I commend you so much for that because you and I had the conversation of like me getting sober in California at 21. And I was like, this is like, it's cool to be sober out here. And then coming to the South where it was like, it's still like whispered about, you know? And I'm like, and I kind of went underground you know, I went to meetings and I did all that and I maintained my sobriety, but I was like, oh, this is not something you talk about. And I regret that. That's like the only regret I have in life. Like I could have been such a bigger part of that shift. And I'm so grateful to now just be, you know, loud and proud about it, but gosh, it still can carry so much shame, you know, in in so many parts. So a hundred percent. That's amazing. Amazing. Um, I want you to touch on one more thing before we wrap. I know we could talk for like three hours. I mean, we could be here till one o'clock in the morning, but you said something the last time we chatted. And I think it's so important to hear. I share this with my husband, the research you said, if, if somebody doesn't take a drink until they're 21 years old, regardless of their predisposition, you know, we are, I am definitely predisposed to alcoholism. I've got the genetics. I don't know if my kids do, but where did you find that? And like, where did that come from? And so j- just doctor, share the statistic. Yeah, Dr. Hedrick, uh, and I'll have to get it so you can actually share it with the audience. But there was a study that came out that if you did not drink or use drugs or any mood altering substance by the age of 21, you have a 90% chance of never struggling with addiction. Wow. And so that's amazing. Yeah, it's I mean, because a lot of it has to do with the de- developmental, you know, yeah. getting get into a, a place again, going back to the brain. Uh, yeah, getting into a spot where it's at, and I think that's again, it's just another important topic is is this early age use. I mean, the average age of first time use is like eleven and a half years old. It's probably even lower than that now. God. Um, you think of, and it's it's we look at the drugs and stuff that we were using and you were using, and even before that, versus what it is today. It's Ugh. like you know, I mean, you, have, you you may never even be an addict and you use once and you're dead, uh, right? But, you know, I mean, just with marijuana, look, I mean, weed that people, even when I was a kid compared to what's out there now, yeah. I mean, we're seeing kids that have people that are smoking weed that are coming in that have epilepsy, they're having seizures, they're having, I mean, they're they're literally in a a drug-induced psychosis for a year um, and not coming out of it. And, and so it's just, it's, it's, it's really, really crazy to see 
what it's doing and the rewiring that it is into the brain. Um, it's really scary, but yeah, that statistic is, is mm. incredible. So, I mean, if there's parents listening to this, you know, it's, it's in, especially if the kids are susceptible to addiction, I can tell you in my household, you know, while they're under my roof, you know, there, there's zero tolerance, especially yeah. for, uh, um, until they're 18, you know, if, if I can get them there, that's a better, better than working. Yeah. And so that's where I'm, I'm sticking to it. Yeah. Well, and like you said, what's out there today, I mean, it's terrifying. It's just insane. And I had this crazy experience. I used to always go in and bring a meeting into a rehab, like on the anniversary of my sister's death. I just, it was something I always did and just wanted to keep paying that forward. And I used to sit in rooms in rehab centers where everybody would talk about their alcoholism. And it was like one year I went and every single person in the room, nobody was talking about alcohol. Nobody was talking about cocaine. It was all this other stuff, like a hundred percent of the room. And I was like, what, what the hell happened in the last few years? Like, this is crazy. I you can't know? Keep up with what people are using nowadays. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all the synthetics and it's just, it's crazy. I mean, there was like five or six drugs we used. You know? Right. I would have never, I mean, I would have never survived it. There yeah. is no chance. There is no chance I would have gone past age 20 with what they have out there today. It's insane yeah. and scary. You and me both. Oh, well, Jason, thank you for this time. Thank you for just all your knowledge and your wisdom and your just your, you know, what you're doing in the world. I think you are, you are contributing to the shift so much. And I mean, we just need more people out there like you. I'm just so grateful to know you and to just be able to share this podcast with everybody. Truly. Uh, you're the best. Thank you so much. It really means a lot. I'm just grateful for all you're doing. And this was a, a, a great experience. So thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh, you guys, that episode just filled my heart and soul to no end. There is nothing I like more than connecting with another alcoholic and that conversation filled my heart. I hope it did yours. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. Make sure you're following the podcast on Apple and Spotify, and we will see you guys next week. Bye.